Good morning. Take your Bibles. First uh, John chapter two, verse eighteen to twenty-seven. Um, don't forget, uh, if you're a Three Rivers member today, don't forget you're by default a greeter. Okay, and so um, make sure you are making folks who are visiting feel welcome today because uh, it is summertime vacation time and uh, it's Father's Day. Uh, lots of folks are gone, so make sure make sure you're greeting folks and making folks feel welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here from me. Happy Father's Day, dads. Hope you have a marvelous day uh, eating more than we probably should and uh, uh, enjoying more dessert than we probably should have or maybe taking a nap or Killing something or shooting something. I don't know. But whatever we like to do to enjoy our time, may you enjoy that today. All right, so uh, let's, uh, let's pray. And then we're going to read First John two eighteen to 27 together. Then we're going to talk about fellowship again today, okay? Father, we give thanks to you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who is our King, who is the Chief Shepherd, Senior Pastor, Lead Pastor, Head of the church, Jesus Christ, today. In his name and for his glory, we come before you and we ask that Holy Spirit would do his work today of counseling us and guiding us and convicting us and working us toward Jesus so that we can see Jesus and taste Jesus and that Chief Shepherd Jesus would minister to his people today. So, Father, that's our mission, it's our goal. And so we ask that you would pull that off this morning and as a result, build fellowship, build fellowship, please, Jesus. We pray this for your glory and for our joy in you. Amen. All right, First John chapter 2 should be up on the screen behind me, English Standard Version. And we're going to read this together because reading the Word of God is important. Reading it together is good. So here we go. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him, I'm sorry, abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in him. Dyslexia almost wrecked the whole train there. So, praise God you hung on. Very good. Today we're taking a look, continuing to study fellowship as we, as we take a look at 1 John, the role of fellowship in the life of the church. I said it many times, I'm going to say it again. Fellowship is our greatest challenge in the next 10 years. We live in a context that values individuality, independence, or we value a particular brand of something that we like. And it, it either segments us away from the body or it binds us to the body. And fellowship among people who value independence is a challenge. Because fellowship isn't just eating a meal together. It is the common bond we share in the gospel as we do life together under the word of the gospel. Not just this. This isn't fellowship. This is the Sunday morning gathering to equip you to go and do fellowship on a gospel mission for the rest of this week until we gather again to be equipped and prepared to continue to go do fellowship. Does that make sense? So, if you came today hoping to get your fix for the week, it's not going to happen. You may be entertained, you may enjoy the songs, 
But unless that engages outside of here, and it's deeper than connect groups. Let me say that. It's deeper than connect groups. Connect groups are only an, an outward manifestation of the deeper reality of life we share together as we do the gospel together. Because life together under the word doesn't stop. It's a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week spiritual and physical reality where life happens when need invades. It is because we are connected that we work toward the good of each other and loving on each other and caring for each other and ministering to each other while we do gospel work together. Does that make sense? And so fellowship is our greatest challenge because we also live in a context that where Christianity is just assumed... Not necessarily lived out. And so what ends up happening in that type of context, the church becomes a commodity that we consume, not who we are defined under fellowship on a gospel mission. In other words, we go to the multiple places we can go to to get our spiritual fix while giving nothing to anybody else or serving anybody else in the process. And all you're doing then is treating the church like a buffet. I'm not a buffet. Neither are you. You don't exist to be used by other people for somebody else's spiritual benefit alone. Does that make sense? We are to serve one another. Our lives are to be under the word of the gospel, living fellowship out, committed to the gospel, committed to the mission of the gospel, under the banner of the local church. And so therefore, we're not products to be consumed We're a body of people on a common mission with one goal. We do that together. And and, and if that doesn't fit you, then there are other bodies in this town you can go find that it will fit you. Please go do so. But be somewhere united, connected on one mission. Does that make sense? So it's, our, our, I, I believe, our greatest challenge. Because when we stop studying 1 John and we stop studying fellowship, we will continue on. And the challenge will be, will we do that? Or will we limp on and maybe miss it? John writes to these Christians to encourage them in that work. To stay focused on Jesus. To stay focused on this gospel work as they do it together. He says again, 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So His mission is that the fellowship would be established, firmly rooted in Jesus. And today we come to a section of Scripture where He warns them. He gives them a warning. He says, beware, because fellowship will be assaulted by Antichrist. Fellowship will be assaulted by Antichrist. Fellowship centers on the person and work of Jesus Christ. If Jesus doesn't come, die, rise, ascend to the Father, send the Spirit, and then actively shepherd His people, we do not exist as a fellowship, and we can't have life together under the Word. It's impossible. Fellowship can be killed by removing the centrality of Jesus Christ. One of the things that's central to the centrality of Jesus is biblical authority. It's center to keeping Jesus center. Because if we remove biblical authority, Scripture as the manual, the blueprint for restoring life as it has been pillaged from the fall, if we remove that, we remove the centrality of Jesus. Biblical authority leads to the centrality of Jesus, the Son of God. An attack against fellowship, and this is key here, attack against fellowship starts with questioning biblical authority and biblical inerrancy because then and only then can the enemies of the gospel begin to question Jesus and His teaching. Very important. Because what has happened here is there's been an assault on the teaching of the apostles, the authority of the apostles, and what they've begun to write down about what Jesus has said and done. 
And there's been an assault as a result on the person of Jesus Christ. John says that Antichrist is coming and is already here. Antichrist is Antichrist because Jesus is central. I want you to hear that. Antichrist is Antichrist because Jesus is central. And if we can begin to take Jesus and marginalize him and question what he has said, then Jesus no longer becomes central. So therefore, Antichrist's job is to be anti-Jesus. Let's remove the centrality of Jesus. The Bible doesn't name the chief enemy of the gospel anti-God. It doesn't name the chief enemy of the gospel anti-spirit. It names the chief enemy of the gospel anti-Christ. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that the only way to know God the Father is through Jesus Christ who has come and he has as the creator of the universe. By the way, central, I remember distinctly about eight, seven, eight-ish years ago in a new member class we had, there was actually an individual who said they did not believe in the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. And we had to tell them, you can't be a member of this church because if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Jesus didn't come into existence at Christmas. Colossians 1 tells us He's the eternal God, the creator of the universe. Trinity in creation. Jesus speaking, sustaining the world into creation. The eternal, pre-existent God of the universe comes and He enters time and space after the rebellion. And He takes on flesh. And He lives among us. And He is rejected by us. And He dies in our place for our sin. Not His guilt, my guilt, your guilt. He dies for that. He's buried. He rises. He ascends to heaven. He sends the Spirit to minister us back to Jesus so we can see the Father, and He today shepherds His people and is ruling the Great Commission well. That Jesus. If we remove that Jesus as central, we no longer have fellowship, we no longer have community, we no longer have Christianity. Biblical authority is central to being in fellowship and guarding the gospel and guarding against Antichrist. What does John tell us today to help us beware of Antichrist and to help us fight for life together under the word of the gospel? He tells us today, beware, fellowship will be assaulted by Antichrist. Let me come back to a moment to biblical authority and establishing the centrality of Jesus. But I want you to be aware, this is one of the reasons why. Listen, Chief Shepherd Jesus will never stop shepherding his church. He's the lead pastor We have no senior pastor here. We have no lead anything here. We have under shepherds. Because the Bible tells us our shepherd is Jesus. And he is ruling his church well. So that if God determines it to be so, 50 years from now, if the Great Commission isn't completed, he hasn't returned and fully established the kingdom of the new heaven and the new earth, and this body is still around, I, none of these other elders will be, But chief shepherd Jesus will still be shepherding his body and raising up shepherds. And it is central that we not lose this as the manual for determining practice. Does that make sense? And so it's central. If Jesus is to be central, if Antichrist's mission is to marginalize Jesus, we have to make sure this stays in the middle as the determiner of what we believe and what we do. And John wants these Christians to understand Antichrist is coming. And Antichrist is is attacking Jesus, this gospel message. However, if we stay here, that won't happen. It won't happen. And it's vital that we stay. And that whatever happens at Three Rivers Community Church 50 years from now, Lord willing, that we still be unpacking the manual. Even if we preach through it over the next 50 years. And in God's grace, we will. We go back through it again. One time is not enough. When you, by the way, I hope we've handed out many times before little Bible reading plans. You need to be through this thing at least once a year. The manual needs to be ingrained on your soul. 
The manual needs to be ingrained in the fiber of your being. When you are troubled and things come at you, your first thoughts don't need to be how you can rescue you, but how the king of the universe is ruling and shepherding well, hasn't dropped the ball. And life is still being handled well by Chief Shepherd Jesus. And so we stay in the manual. So I want to unpack for us four uh, little truths here that help us to see how we can beware of fellowship being assaulted by Antichrist and what we are to do. Here's, here's point truth number one. Beware. It is the last hour of redemptive history. And the spirit of Antichrist has come. Some people who do teaching on the last days have a tendency to um, miss this very important truth of redemptive history. And they think that somehow all of a sudden in the past few years with the advent of communism and, and, and whatever they view happening politically around us, that now all of a sudden the last days are upon us. We need to understand something that John says here. John says it is the last hour already. Matter of fact, this phrase, the last hour, shows up four different ways in the New Testament. The last days, the last hour, the last time, and the last times. The most explicit one of those in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, where the writer of Hebrews tells us that these last times, these last days, have been inaugurated with the coming of Jesus. And so what John is affirming for his audience here is we're in the last times, we're in the last days. From the coming of Jesus until his return, it is the last days. And what John wants you to see is the grand story of the Bible. His assumption is that you understand the grand story of God's work in redemptive history. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. Creation, fall, redemption, and then the restoration of all things. And so with the coming of Jesus, we're entering the last phase of redemptive history. And it will end with the return of Christ. And so John says we are at the last hour. And he says, beware, in this last hour of redemptive history, the spirit of Antichrist has come. What is Antichrist? What is Antichrist? 1 John 2, 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4, 1-3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Here's my definition of Antichrist for you. Satan And demonic lies, satanic and demonic lies, propagated spiritually in the form of teaching and spiritual encounter that turn people away from Jesus and all he said is and does. That's Antichrist. It is working us away from Jesus. John says to these readers who have been tempted with this great spiritual teaching, that there's this great spiritual reality for you to have, and we want you to ascend to it. And these false teachers have gone out away from them because they have a greater sense of knowledge, and these poor imbeciles are still stuck just in Jesus. And John says to them, that's the spirit of Antichrist. They went out from us to show that they were not of us, but you have remained, showing you are of the gospel, and you've believed in Jesus. And he says to them, we've entered the last hour of redemptive history and no antichrist is in the world. Hey church, listen. This applies to us. Antichrist is alive and well working against the gospel. Now, whatever you do eschatologically about how you think about end stuff and whether or not like you read the left behind books and think that that's like should be tacked on to the end of your Bible as another part of the canon, you, we're going to have to deal with that later. Okay? But The reality is that this spirit of Antichrist, whether an individual figure later or not, there is the spirit of Antichrist already in the world working against the gospel. That is alive and well in Rome, Georgia today. Matter of fact, the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well working all over the globe today to hinder the work of the gospel. We are in those last times. 
There's 6,000 plus unreached people groups that have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. Matthew 24, 14 tells us that when the gospel has been preached in all those places, then the end will come. So there's lots of work left to do. Chances are Jesus isn't returning this afternoon unless all 6,000 of those groups of people hear the gospel and respond today. So there's work to be done. And Antichrist, this, this, this spirit of demonic and satanic lies working against the gospel is alive and well today. I would argue possibly even in this room. All of us, whether it be academically or just other ways, are constantly bombarded with challenges to the centrality of Jesus. Aren't we? Do you ever have those questions like, is Jesus really who he said he was? I mean, I mean, there are books you can pick up on the Christian section of the bookstore at Barnes & Noble that question the deity and the authority of Jesus. And by the way, they represent mainstream Christianity in America. The idea that, yeah, Jesus is a prophet, he's a good guy, but he's not really God. That is alive and well. And you must be aware of it. Number two, beware. Non-Christians will leave the church because Jesus is just too much. In verse 19, the first part of 22, and then verse 23. This is a salvation issue. Listen, guys, when we hold to the centrality of Jesus, what we will discover is that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30 is very true. You guys know the story? If you would, turn there with me. Matthew 13, 24 to 30. Jesus teaching in parables, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? He said, no. Listen, gathering the weeds, you root up the weed along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus, in this parable, reminds us that in the kingdom of God, inside the church, there will be wheats, wheat <laughs> and weeds Sown together, there will be believers and non-believers under the same umbrella of fellowship. The church can have non-Christians embedded in it. And the question, and here's the discovery, is do they walk away from Jesus? Is Jesus alone not enough? Non-Christians can be vocal as they were in 1 John, causing problems. Or they can be quiet and undercover as in Matthew chapter 13, 24 to 30. An example of quiet weeds would be a guy named Rubel Shelley who wrote a book that I was introduced to this past week. Had an individual that doesn't go to our church who I know through other connections came to me and brought me a book on a particular issue that they're wrestling through and it was given to them by their pastor. As I flipped through the book, and, and, and as I, I had a chance to meet with this person, what I was having to do was undo what this book had already done. And among the first two chapters, one of the first lines that caught my attention was, if we're going to deal with this issue well, we have to really look at whether or not what Jesus said is accurate. And then he spent a chapter telling you why the Scriptures are inaccurate and why the scriptures don't really reflect rightly on this issue and how we need to rightly understand it better from the context of the culture around us. This is a pastor who gave this book to a sheep, a wolf, handing a sheep poison. And as you unpack the book, it gives you all kinds of Biblical reasons why you should now go and just disobey Jesus' commands. 
This is why one of the ways I told you it's important to remain in the centrality of Scripture because Scripture's mission is to point us to Jesus. And we marginalize Scripture. We marginalize Jesus. It's quiet. It's subtle. It looks good. It feels good. They even quote Jesus. But in Matthew 4, Satan quotes Psalm 91 perfectly. He doesn't misquote the text. He just misapplies the text. You can quote Jesus, misapply Jesus, and miss Jesus. That should make all of us shudder. It's vital that we be aware that there is in the church a war for the sheep. This is why Paul tells Timothy, Beware of wolves who will come from your midst. He tells the church at Ephesus, they will come from among you. And by the way, if you read anything by Rubel Shelley, throw it away. Throw it away. It could perhaps be vocal, such as an old debate that isn't really old because it's still going on, and that's the fundamentalist slash modernist debate. Fundamentalism, which by the way, when you hear fundamental, how many of you hear that negatively? Right, exactly. It's not, okay? Maybe you've read up on the issue, but the debate centered around five points. Um, starting around 1878, some conservative Presbyterian theologians at Princeton began the movement of fundamentalism and it spread to some conservative Baptists in the Northeast. And what they were doing was combating the age of naturalism that had invaded theology. And they pinned five points. One was biblical inspiration and inerrancy. We're there. If you're not, you're not going to enjoy this fellowship. Okay? The Bible does not affirm anything contrary to fact. If you think it does, you're not going to enjoy this fellowship. The Bible does not error in what it teaches. Does that make sense? Two, the virgin birth of Jesus. Still good? You better be. Better be. Third, Jesus' death and atonement for sin. Still good? Better be. It's pretty important. Fourth, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Still good? Fifth, the historical reality of the miracles of Jesus. You good? That's fundamentalism. If you're not a fundamentalist, I would argue you might not even be a Christian. The reason that term has a negative connotation is because the combat against that is the Scriptures do affirm things contrary to fact, and therefore we should read how to obey God by our culture. Virgin birth is not possible. That's just sort of a mythological account to kind of highlight and make Jesus sort of the central figure. Jesus really wasn't dead. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I read more than enough of those books in my library. It's shorter. In my degree, Jesus wasn't dead. He was just sort of passed out. I'm not even joking. And he was placed in a cool tomb, and the coolness of the tomb helped him to resuscitate and he came out and propagated Christianity. Which, by the way, if you believe that, that puts Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and all the other world's religions on the same plane as equally valid. Then, if Jesus isn't resurrected, then you know, what do we have? Well, Jesus was just sort of spiritually kind of resurrected. He kind of came back a little bit. and It's more of a spiritual thing. And then, Jesus really didn't perform any miracles because he's just a guy. He's a good guy. He's a prophet. And that's what they were combating. Guys, those arguments are alive and well. And they are constantly bombarding people in the faith. And what we've got to understand is that we have to beware that Antichrist is fighting against the gospel. And as the church, we have to keep Jesus front and center. We have to use the manual as the manual scripture as our guide to keep Jesus front and center so that we do not give in. And let me say this to you. If you're tempted to walk away from the centrality of Jesus, let me beg you, do not do so. If you do that, what you're saying is, I'm not a Christian, I have never believed, I never will believe, and hell is better than the eternal kingdom of heaven. 
You walk away from Jesus, you miss everything. What does John say here? In verse 22 and verse 23, he says, if you miss Jesus, you miss the Father. Listen, there's a great movement inside even modern missions today. Working in the Muslim world. In which we have a common bond between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. And that is God. I've been there. I've been to the, I've been to the conferences. You guys know about some of that if you've been here long enough. But they're, they're there. And people claiming that you can follow God on the Muslim road and still be a Christian. There's just one problem with that. Jesus. Jesus. This is why John warns him about Antichrist, not anti-God, not anti-spirit, but anti-Christ. Because Jesus is the fly in that ointment. If we miss Jesus, if we don't hold on to the centrality of Jesus Christ, we have no fellowship. We have no life together under the Word because there is no fellowship and there's no Word really to hold on to. It's just generic God. Muslims got Him. Hindus have Him. Buddhists have Him. We have Him. We're just all kind of going up the mountain from a different angle. We must hold the centrality of Jesus Christ, and it's not optional. John said, if you miss Jesus, you miss the Father. But he said, if you receive Jesus, you get the Father too. So be careful with God talk. And no reliance on Jesus to define who that is. This affects how we do missions, guys. And we work in a part of the world in which this is a hot issue. It affects how we do missions. It affects how you preach. It affects what you say. This affects how we do evangelism. Listen, guys, it's easy in our context to get people to buy into God. The only problem is when you start defining God as the second person of the Trinity who said these things, it gets dicey. However, how many of you notice how easy it is to talk about God with people but get uncomfortable when you start talking about Jesus? You ever notice that? Why is that? Listen, one, one of the ways to begin to combat spiritually uh, in, a, in, in spiritual warfare is to ask good questions about what's going on in the moment. When you start talking about Jesus and get uncomfortable, ask why. Why does that make me uncomfortable? Why am I more comfortable talking about generic God? But I start talking about Jesus and I get all squirmy and just decide to bug out. Don't want to talk about it anymore. Or find, why is that? Could it be that Antichrist... Is in the airwaves perverting the work of the gospel. And there's a war going on. Yeah. It's exactly what's happening. This is spiritual work. It's not just physical. The physical is the last piece. If there's something hindering evangelism, it's not your bodily willingness and ability to go do it. It's that spiritual struggle on the inside that says, do I really want to talk to them? And what? Well, we got to... No, that's good. Just talk about God. That's good enough, right? No, it's not. By the way, Muslims think we worship the same God. Jews think we worship the same God. We don't. You want to know why? Because if you don't have Jesus, John says you don't have the Father. Does he not say that? Let's make sure. Make sure I'm not lying to you. I write, verse 21, I write to you, not because you know the truth, but because you know it. You know it. And because no lies of the truth. Who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. You can't say Jesus is irrelevant and have God the Father. If Jesus is irrelevant, you don't have God the Father. You have Satan. You're still in the bondage of sin. You do not believe. And the eternal kingdom is not your home. It affects how we do evangelism. It affects how we do membership, church membership. If Jesus isn't center, because the Bible teaches He's the chief shepherd, He's the senior pastor, we are to submit to Him. We are to submit under Him. We are to serve under Him. 
And if he isn't the chief shepherd, then there's no reason to submit to anybody or any fellowship because after all, we'll just use the church as a buffet to get my spiritual fix. But if he is chief shepherd, then we submit underneath him and obey him as Hebrews 13 tells us to obey his him and his leaders and submit to them so the work of the gospel is easier. If Jesus isn't center, we can do mosque, we can do synagogue, we can do church, whatever you want to call it. We can do civic organization, whatever, just, just as long as we get together every now and then under the name of God, right? Wrong. As long as we keep the discussion on God, we can conveniently ignore Jesus. Use my little Silver Creek terminology. If we can dehorn Scripture, cut the horns off of Scripture, we can no doubt ignore Jesus, which is why biblical authority is central to maintaining fellowship. It's the manual. It's the book. It's what we are all on the same page of. When we look to Jesus to show us who God is, then we have to adjust our ideas about God, and that means submitting to God and not doing our own thing. Number three, know this. Know this. You have the Spirit resulting in the knowledge of the truth. Listen to what John says to them here in verse 20, verse 26 and 27. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. Totally rabbit trail. It's vital that, that pastors preach from the Bible. Hear that? It's vital. I think you know that. You've been here long enough to know we do that. We, we're pretty picky about that, right? But notice he says something. You have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You know who, this is like I told you last week, I'm not providing you with notes anymore. The sort of a step of trust here, kind of trying to get rid of my naturalistic tendencies and trust that Chief Shepherd Jesus can cause his spirit to apply to you what I can't because I don't know the inner workings of your heart. You know? <laughs> so it kind of makes me uncomfortable not to give you notes. He says here that you have no need of anyone to teach you. He's not saying that we shouldn't teach. His argument is we should hold on to the Scriptures and hold on to Jesus. His point is this. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, and He does if you believed in Jesus, the ultimate teacher already resides with you. And He says here, and He has taught you about everything, and He's true, and there's no lie. He says, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Know this, you have the Spirit resulting in the knowledge of the truth. The illumination given by the Spirit means that in Christianity there is no enlightened elite on whom all others depend. D.A. Carson, I footnoted that by the way, that's not mine, D.A. Carson. So John tells them here in verse 26, beware of deceivers. Verse 27, rely on Holy Spirit to guide you into truth. Listen, if you are not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not because Jesus has failed to send the Spirit to you. It is possibly because of some things. He's Holy Spirit. Meaning, it's necessary to walk in the fullness of, of the Spirit, that we repent of sin. Listen, man, if sin is the dominant characteristic of your thinking and your acting, don't expect yourself to walk in the fullness and power and gifting of the Spirit whose job is to lead us into the Son of God. Daily seek the Lord Jesus. Spirit's mission is Jesus, not Himself. 
And it's vital that we understand that. John 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit's job is to submit to the Son and exalt the Son and highlight the Son. You want to walk in the power of your giftedness? Get on the page of the Spirit, which is Jesus. Seek Jesus. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that in Jesus is hidden all the wealth of wisdom and knowledge. You want wisdom? You want to know? Go to Jesus, the eternal Son of God who took on flesh and died in the place of sinners. There's enough in Jesus to keep us fascinated for eternity. So, seek Jesus. Read and obey His Word. Walk in fellowship and persevere. We're not going to have the Spirit leading us to Jesus if we're not in fellowship. Christianity is not a Lone Ranger deal. Christianity is not lived in isolation. Christianity is lived out in fellowship. And so if we're going to have empowerment and gifting, it's going to be in fellowship. By the way, gifts of the Spirit are not given to us so that we can enjoy them. They're given so that other people can benefit from that gifting. They're given to me for you. Which is why it's my job and why it's necessary that I exercise the gift of teaching here. Because it's for you. This is not for me. You've got to understand that. Like, this is hard. These guys that we meet with on Tuesday, these other pastors in training who are preaching, and we'll be preaching all of July, and, and they're preaching a lot, and we're giving them opportunities to teach. They recognize and taste that there's this little thing I call preacher hangover. There's this little thing when you spilled your emotive guts that you are tired and you are... This is like CrossFit is easy compared to this. I'm not even lying. This is not easy, but it's a gifting given. Listen, when you got a dyslexic guy whose motto in high school was, I don't read, and God empowers him to get a master's degree and make B's and A's all the way through, that's none other than a miracle. I'm not even, and then I teach, I teach other kids. Like, are you kidding me? You, th- listen, if I stop teaching, that gift will go. He will take it from me. He'll take it from me. That gift is not for me to consume, it's for you. And He gifts you to serve other people, not to you. Whoa, I got a gift! Woohoo! I'm enjoying it at the house today. No, the gift is given for other people so that the church may grow into Jesus, the head. And that lost people may hear the gospel. And so you've got to be in fellowship to walk in that fullness. And so if we believe the gospel, we have Holy Spirit. Meaning there's no enlightened elite. I'm not an enlightened elite. I'm a fool who can't even see letters straight. There are no elite among us. If you believed in Jesus, He has placed His Spirit in you and on you to mark you as a child of God. And so rely on Him by repenting of sin. Seek Jesus. Read and obey His Word. Be in fellowship and persevere in that. There are going to be days where you don't feel it, guys, in fellowship. People are going to get on your nerves. People are going to annoy you. And you're going to feel spiritually dry. Jesus did too. Beware your thoughts and test them. We're going to look at this in a few weeks. 1 John 4, 1. Test your thoughts. John tells this church, test the spirits to see whether they are from the Lord. You know spiritual encounters are not uncommon in the demonic world. Spiritual warfare is real. And Satan and demons can counterfeit things. Beware of the occult. Beware of the ghost shows and seeking your dead uncle Tim. The Bible tells us to watch out for the occult, to watch out for mediums, because it's demonic in its origin. I don't know if you watch television. I do. We're sinners in my house, and so we like to watch a lot of television. And on those shows, there are all kinds of. Have you noticed the shows, the ghost hunting shows? Guys, this is legit demonic spiritual war. It's been going on for centuries. Read the book of Samuel and Saul's final encounter in sin before he dies. Saul goes to seek a witch to conjure up Samuel. That's why the book of Deuteronomy tells us to not go to mediums. Do not seek those spiritual things. Don't seek that stuff. 
Stay in the manual focus on Jesus. And test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And he gives us the test. If they confess Jesus, they point you to Jesus. It's from the Lord. If it doesn't point you from G- to Jesus, it's not from the Lord. So beware of your thoughts and test them. If your thoughts are just about spiritual things with nothing leading to the source of all wisdom and knowledge, Jesus, then take it captive, as Paul told the Corinthians. If your thoughts are scriptural and gospel-saturated, then listen to them and obey them. Holy Spirit will speak the language of Scripture. Fourth and finally, do this. Remain in the truth of Jesus. Remain in the truth of Jesus. Verse 22 tells us that liars deny that Jesus is the Christ. Rubel Shelley. Spong John. Dude, History Channel is loaded with these kind of people. When you watch the History Channel shows on Jesus, beware. Because what do they end up doing? Questioning the authenticity and accuracy of the biblical revelation. Liars deny Jesus as the Christ. And they're tricky too. They're slippery. You've got to read them, pay attention to them, but they will lie to you and drag you away from Jesus. Remain in the truth of Jesus. Jesus leads to the Father and Spirit's job is to reveal Jesus to us. Verse 25, staying in the gospel results in eternal life. Staying in the gospel results in eternal life. John said, and this is eternal life, that they may know God the Father and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life isn't simply living forever. It's to fully know and enjoy God the Father through Jesus Christ. Listen, it sounds super simple, guys. Super simple. But John's whole point is that we would be aware that Antichrist has come and that we would remain in Jesus. Simple point, but a challenging thing to do because you know what? Life is going to slap us around and we're going to look for answers from lots of places. And the temptation is to look for answers somewhere other than Jesus. Because Jesus' answers are hard, they're difficult. They fight against the rebellion and against the fall. And it is absolutely, utterly essential that if we're going to be in fellowship together, we stay in Jesus. He's the point. He's the end all, the be all. If it takes us away from Jesus, it's not gospel. So church, as we engage our world, let us not be drugged off to the margins of debates that drag us away from Jesus, that drag us away from what Jesus said and did. Listen, as we do life together under the Word, there are going to be things that happen in our body that we've got to address head on. Life's going to smack families and couples around. What do we do? Sickness is going to pillage. What do we do? Life is going to be hard. What do we do? We have to make sure we are constantly running to Jesus together, life together, under the word of the gospel. We have to be ready to counsel one another when life smacks us around and we're tempted to walk away from the truths of Jesus and do other things because they're culturally easier to do. You know, guys, it's easy when marriage is assaulted to just do what our culture says and buy out easy and quick. It's quite another thing to pull Hosea off. With the help of the Son of God. We're a culture who likes microwave ease, right? This is boom, 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 get it done and move on. And Jesus says, no, no. In life together under the Word, we have to hang out together in Jesus. Point each other to Jesus. Use the manual to point each other to Jesus. And as we do that, guys, we can stay in the truth of the Gospel. Antichrist will assault. We have everything in the manual to win the war with. So as we do life together, let's hold on to Jesus with white-knuckled joy and do life together under the Word. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning um, that you would do a work of grace in your body today to cause us to see and savor more of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray for you to move powerfully among your people. Jesus said you would convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So, 
where there is sin that needs to be repented of, would you, would you make folks so uncomfortable? But we don't, I can't know what that is. Only you do. And where there is a quenching of your presence due to sin and, and, and a lack of repentance, would you convict and would you in love fix and repair and cause there to be repentance that takes place? Would you put desire in that leads us to Jesus? Give us holy desires for righteousness, for holiness. Cause our desire for holiness to be thick and rich and enjoyable so that we would run with delight to Jesus. And even when necessary, Holy Spirit, where judgment is waiting, I pray that you would make clear to those who are on the edge of walking into judgment and draw them to the Son of God. Make Jesus big this morning. Where there are those who are tempted to walk away from Jesus or questioning Jesus or the authority of Jesus as presented in your word, I pray that you would sustain them in grace. I pray that you would do a supernatural work where they would taste the supernatural nature of the gospel, and you would rescue them, rescue the souls of men, and women, and children. Pray that you would cause us to delight in you this morning, as the stars are telling of the glory of God, and day to day pours forth speech. Let us join in for just a little bit, that we may delight in you, and enjoy you together in song. The song of the redeemed, the song of the kingdom, the battle cry of the people of God. Now while you're getting prepared to sing, I just want to say to you as we always do, that the Spirit of God is leading you to the Son of God. Jesus would have you be right. He would have you obey. And if there's someone who needs to be encouraged this morning and He has given you their name and given you a word to them, would you go encourage them? Would you speak that to them? Would you pray for them? Some of your pastors will be in the back. And if you want us to pray for you, we'll be glad to pray for you. We'll be standing back there. So come and, and we would love to pray for you. Some of your deacons will be standing in the back. And if you need ministry, you need help, come and see them. But this morning, we want to enjoy Jesus, make much of Jesus. And do life together under the word in preparation for this coming week. Let's do that.